Hello everyone, Dr. Chris Martinson here back with you after an amazing week down with all of the good doctors and board members of the Frontline COVID Critical Care Organization down in Texas. That was a fun week. Now let's get back to it because you know what? Things are, of course, happening and breaking. And today we got to talk about another massive bank failure. And I want to put this in context for you. You know, my favorite saying is that um, it's from Da Vinci who said, learn how to see realize that everything connects to everything. So that's what I'm going to do for you here. I'm going to connect everything to everything because I can't just talk about COVID and its response or failed responses without understanding the larger architecture of how our corrupt banking and political systems come together. And we can't really understand how to skate to where the puck is going to be without understanding what's going on in the world of resources, oil, things like that. It all connects. So that's what this channel is all about. I love connecting things together. So I'm going to do that for you here today. We're going to look at this, which is another massive bank failure and oh, bailout. It is now May 2023. So what is it? We're talking about First Republic Bank seized by regulators. They say here sold to JP Morgan Chase. Mm, interesting words. Technically true. But as we'll see, kind of a sweetheart deal for J.P. Morgan on this whole thing. All right, as part of the deal, the uh, J.P. Morgan gets 84 new branches. Okay, all right, what are they going to do with that? But let's put this in context. It is now, we have a new second biggest. Remember when Al-Qaeda kept like having their number two man killed, you know, over there in, in Afghanistan? Uh, at any rate, that's what we're seeing here now. We got a new number two on this list, Washington Mutual at the all-time $307 billion in asset column there. But First Republic now clocking in larger than Silicon Valley Bank or Signature Bank. So we have three giant, you know, top four, three of the top four bank failures in the last couple of decades uh, have just happened in the past couple of months. So that's a pretty big deal. And look at that asset to deposit ratio. That's, um, mm, they had a lot of loans outstanding. So Pretty good article here by Maureen, Jenna, and Lauren here. Uh, they say here, regulator seized control of First Republic Bank, sold it to J.P. Morgan Chase. Okay, okay, this happened Monday, to, but this was happening all weekend. So if you saw all the markets, stock markets magically climbing last week, that's what we call padding in this business. The markets are padded when bad news is coming so that, oh, soft landing. Um, because what everybody fears here, and we'll be talking about this in part two uh, back at, at my website, we're going to be talking about the context for this and the fact that the United States government may default on its debt. May. Probably won't. You know how it is. Brinksmanship, all of that. Go right up to the wire, then pull back. But the larger context of this of this is these bank failures are happening because of actions that were undertaken by, principally kicked into motion by Ben Bernanke and then carried on by Jay Powell. So we'll look at that really quick. At any rate, um, I love this little quote here from Jamie Demon, uh, J.P. Morgan's chief executive, said, this part of the crisis is over. For now, we should all just take a deep breath. <laughs> if by this part of the crisis, he means the banking crisis is over, that part's done because we've got to solve now. <clears throat> Wrong. Uh, but if he means this part in terms of getting First Republic out of the way, he's right. Uh, this has now been taken care of. So looking at this, um, let me get rid of this thing right here. So investors, they say here, welcome J.P. Morgan's takeover, sending the bank's stock 3.5% higher on Monday. Woo! Um, and so the stocks of PNC Financial and Citizens Financial Group, two regional banks that lost out on a bid for First Republic, 
They each traded down 5%. So the market was saying whoever got this plum is going to be rewarded. It shouldn't, you shouldn't really be that way, but I guess you have to make it, you know, you got to make it interesting for the bank because they got to get a taste. They got to get a little big, right? But the markets, investors were clearly saying, yeah, we know that this is going to be a sweetheart deal. Somebody's going to come out of this with more money in their pockets. Now, where did that money come from? That's right. Came from the FDIC, which means it came from you. Say here, First Republic shareholders and debt holders, this is actually good news, will be wiped out in this deal. Why good news? Because that's the people who are carrying the debt and equity of a failed business. They should take the losses because that's how that's supposed to work. Um, so a typical occurrence when a bank is put in government receivership, uh, <clears throat> only lately, uh, they were made whole in, in other parts of the great financial crisis. So at any rate, uh, carrying on here then, let's see. Oh, <laughs> this is from J.P. Morgan Chase. This was a slide that didn't that came out of one of their decks, got this from Zero Hedge. And uh, they did not actually, I didn't see this make it out into the newspapers. Look at this. They're all excited because this increases penetration with U.S. high net worth clients. So ding, they pick up a bunch of high net worth clients and that's exciting to J.P. Morgan. Um, they say here, oh, 500 million net income. They get 500 million. Let's remember a little taste, little taste for the bankers, a little big. Apparently this is what they needed. They got 500 million bucks right out of the gate, straight to net income. So, wow. Tangible book value per share was accretive. So they're getting, they, they wrote the assets down. So when they bring them over, they're, oh, surprise, it's going to be very good for their balance sheet. It's going to look good. And an internal rate of return, that's IRR, of over 20%. So that means whatever monies they're putting at, at play here, they expect to get a return on those over time of 20%. That's astonishing. Now, how did that happen? Because of this one right here, this next one in yellow, strong credit profile, supplemented, fortified by FDIC loss sharing agreement. Hey, that's a nice agreement. Get them if you can. It's awesome work if you can get it. Um, the FDIC stepped in and is going to make it so the bank doesn't have to take any risks or losses beyond certain levels. So, <laughs> excuse me. Um, so this is a pretty sweet deal for JP Morgan. That's the nature of the business. Now, which investors were out there that bought all that JP Morgan stock? Well, you'll be glad to know that at least one of them was a congressman, congresswoman in this case, literally trading bank stocks again. Lois Frankel sold First Republic on March 16th, when it still had value, avoiding, avoiding the remaining 80% drop. Smart move, Lois. And she then bought JP Morgan, the bank buying FRC on March 22nd. Wow. These, you can just tell by looking at her, this is a pro stock trader. Obviously, there's something that comes with becoming a congressman or congresswoman that gives you extraordinary trading abilities. Um, yeah, that's at least part of the investor class. This, by the way, editorially, this should not be allowed. People who are on the insides of deals, just because they happen to be Congress critters or senators, they should not be allowed to do insider trading. If you or I did this on any any capacity, kind of like this, but out here in the cheap seats, the retail seats, the wholesale citizen side, we'd get in so much trouble so quickly. Um, and, and of course, right? But uh, somehow... That's okay for in our corrupt system that this is okay. That, that's just how it rolls. Now, JP Morgan, according to Wasteland Capital, is making a killing on this. That's at e-commerce shares on Twitter saying 
buying 18 billion in net assets at market by paying 10.6 billion. So, ding, they got to book an immediate 7.4 billion dollar book profit. So that's when they when they said uh, this is <laughs> when they said uh, uh, would be a tangible book value per share would be accretive. That's banker speak for we bought some stuff on the cheap. That's <laughs> how it rolls. Um, also subsidizing uh, financing and loan loss sharing on top of that. That's this chunk right here. I want to zoom in on that real quick in just a second. But first, let me turn to one of uh, my favorite people in this whole story and listen to what President Joe Biden just said about this earlier today. Before we start, uh, I'm pleased to say that the regulators have taken action to facilitate the sale of First Republic Bank and ensure that all depositors are protected and the taxpayers are not on the hook. These actions are going to make sure that the banking system is safe and sound, and that includes protecting small businesses across the country who need to make payroll for workers and their small businesses. And so let me be very clear. While depositors are being protected, shareholders are losing their investments. And critically, taxpayers are not the ones that are on the hook. Hmm. Taxpayers are not the ones that are on the hook. Sounds very positive. <laughs> is it true? Let's take a quick look here. So this is from the workout sheet that we saw up here, the transaction overview. Zooming in, it says here, the FDIC will provide loss share agreements. Loss share agreements. Sounds so positive. With respect to most acquired loans, single-family residential mortgages, 80% loss coverage for seven years. Commercial loans, including CRE, 80% loss coverage for five years. And I don't have the details to know exactly what kind of losses they're talking about here. Because if it's just, you know, if somebody fails to pay their mortgage and goes belly up and there's losses, okay, that's one type of loss. But then there are these mark-to-market losses that kick around, right? Which, uh, uh, let, I'll talk about those in just a second. So a mark-to-market loss is just simply saying, hey, we have this mortgage and we can't sell it for what we what, what we initiated it for. So that's a loss. So maybe, I don't know if that includes that. So um, as part of the agreement, it says here in this article, the FDIC will share losses with J.P. Morgan on First Republic's loans. The agency estimated that its insurance fund would take a hit of $13 billion in the deal. Well, wait a minute. I thought... Biden just told me taxpayers are not the ones on the hook. Which is it? Well, you have to understand how the FDIC works. The FDIC reaches into banks and charges them a fee of a percent of deposits, a very small fee on a percentage basis that then funds its fund. Where does that money come from, would you say? That's right. It comes from everybody who uses those banks and those bank services. That, that would be a tack-on fee that they slide in through their operations. And last I checked, I was a taxpayer. So... Yes, taxpayers are on the hook. Now, secondarily, too, the FDIC is an insurance pool, and it has a certain amount of money in it, and that money comes to it from all of the all of the fees that it charges to the banking system. It still has a pretty decent safety cushion in there, but what if that safety cushion runs out? What if there are more bank failures? Then who's on the hook? Taxpayers. And wouldn't it be great if they had that $13 billion in the kitty if we got to that second stage of this, if things get worse? So, um Biden's wrong. This is not actually accurate. Taxpayers are on the hook for this stuff. 
in every meaningful sense of the word. I know they're not legally on the hook, but trust me, if the bank system either got taxpayer money or was going to completely fail, it would get taxpayer money as per usual. So um, I'm going to rate this one as needing context. Uh, at any rate, carrying on. So as a reminder on all this thing, though, they, yes, they do think you're stupid, right? This was uh, very interesting. I'm going to be talking about this back at the website again with my subscribers, but this is just a piece from the Epstein revelations. Again, good, re good reporting on this one, brave reporting. This is in the Wall Street Journal, but I love this. Mr. Burns, the current CIA director, is trying to claim that the that when he met with uh, Epstein, the director did not know anything about him other than he was introduced as an expert in the financial services sector and offered general advice on transition to the private sector. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're not that dumb. Uh, the whole idea that, that the director of the CIA or somebody uh, capable of becoming the director didn't know who Jeffrey Epstein was in 2013 and 14 when he got in trouble in 2008 for trafficking in what the press likes to call underage women. I like to call children. Um, but at any rate, <laughs> that's how that's they think that's going to fly. The director, he just didn't know anything about him. Yeah, he could have been a guy he met on the street, just didn't know anything. It's like you don't you don't know everything about the subway guy who makes your sandwich. So it's like that. <laughs> Very stupid. Anyway, that's what they think of you. <clears throat> I do like that the FDIC board member, Jonathan McKiernan, did say in a statement that was released with blah, 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 blah. But this part at the bottom, this was strong to me. He said, we should plan for those bank failures by focusing on strong capital requirements and effective resolution framework. OK, as our best hope for eventually ending our country's bailout culture that privatizes gains while socializing losses, end quote. That $13 billion from the FDIC is a socialized loss. The privatized gains were all the people who, who were taking giant C-suite salaries out and stock options and things like that out of this bank while it was still operating. Um, <clears throat> seeing you know those new gains, the accretive value that we're seeing on J.P. Morgan's balance sheet, where'd that come from? That money didn't just show up came from somewhere. That's right. So this whole idea of having privatized gains but socialized losses is a really bad deal for you and me. Bunch of reasons. The biggest one is because it creates something called moral hazard, meaning there's nothing to stop the, the, the privatized gains people from just running up the flagpole, a giant risk pattern, going out there and doing risky things and trying to do all kinds of crazy stuff. And because they know if they get in trouble, there's a bailout coming. And this was a bailout. All right. <clears throat> but we have to go to the crime scene, though. This, Yeah, the bank could have been poorly, could have been better run. Maybe it was poorly run. Yeah, there's a lot of other disasters out there. This is the crime scene. This is the Federal Reserve balance sheet. I put the terms under there of Bernanke, Yellen, and Powell. Those are the three most current um, <clears throat> Fed chairs. And Bernanke is the initial arsonist in this giant conflagration we're in. This guy here, Ben Bernanke, he did this. This was like all of U.S. history from its founding, every war fought, every port built, every road paved, mile paved, everything ever done in this country from inception up through 2008 required less than a trillion dollars of, of cash in the system. Put there, 
clickety-click-click click off of the Fed keyboards, right? It was actually at $883 billion, and then we had the great financial crisis. Scared Ben. Made scared, but scaredy Ben. And what did he do? He more than doubled. More than doubled. More than. I was like two and a half times. Closing in on three times. Somewhere around there. The total amount of money that the Fed had printed in all of its history in a couple of months. It was, and yeah. Whoa. And I hear their arguments. They're like, Chris, if he didn't do that, there would have been this even greater crisis and then really bad things would have happened. Now, that's, I can't prove a negative, right? Neither can they. So we don't know what would have happened. My guess is if you just allowed the rot that it accumulated up to that point to just die off, it would have been painful. We would have lost more than Lehman Brothers. We might have lost Citibank. We might have lost AIG. We might have lost a few more financial hubs and centers and, and big institutions. But then you know what happens next? You lick your wounds and then better run companies with people who watch that carnage happen saying, I better be more careful, right? And then you get the desired outcomes you want, which is people behaving responsibly in a non-reckless fashion. So Ben Bernanke just came in and said, let's be reckless and crammed the Federal Reserve balance sheet all the way up to here to $4 trillion by the time Yellen came on board. Yellen was actually in the business of starting to wobble it down. Like this is most of her tenure. The Federal Reserve balance sheet actually is going slightly down. Um, and then Powell comes on board and this was his big freak out right here. Get my drawing tool out. This was his big freak out right here, even before COVID in uh, September of 2019. And then what the heck was this? And then you can't make any justification for this. Bottom line, every time the Federal Reserve now tries to undo the damage that Ben Bernanke did and starts to try and unwind, it's very unpleasant. Financial markets start to crack. They're worried about their precious stock market going down instead of up. They're worried about financial solvency across the whole thing. So, uh, all right. So this is this is the crime scene. Right. This is starting the fire. But the fuel on that fire was the second part of this crime scene, which is this what I call this monetary vandalism. This is the federal funds effective rate. That's the interest rate. They quote it all the time. They tell you when the Fed raised rates, when the Fed lowered rates are talking about this thing, the Fed funds rate. And so here you can see Ben Bernanke. This is his term down here through all this. Yeah, this is him pointing at it. I did this. Right. This is vandalism. There's no way to undo this. When you put interest rates down effectively near zero, you know what happens? A lot of financial destruction happens. As John Stuart Mill says, panics do not destroy capital. They only reveal the extent to which it's already been hopelessly betrayed. That little chunk of time right there, hopelessly betrayed a lot of capital. And then this piece right here, literally going to zero for that piece under Jay Powell, this gentleman here, before doing this, whoop, that's a really excessively fast and steep rise in the interest rate. So there was really almost no way for banks not to get in trouble around this. Now, it should be bothersome to a lot of people that small and medium-sized regional banks can't survive this kind of an onslaught. They're getting destroyed and whoop, who's swooping in? with sweetheart deals to buy them, the biggest of the big, the too big to fails, right? This is an, a dismantling of the small and medium-sized core engine of this country in favor of the big. That's what the Federal Reserve does. It picks winners and losers. That's what they always do. They pick winners and losers. Hey, we're going to ram interest rates way down there, said Ben Bernanke, because we want housing prices to go up. Okay, so people who already own houses feel a little richer, but what about the people who are trying to buy houses, start households? 
there they get screwed. So it helps one, screws another. When you decode it, what do we have the Federal Reserve doing? They are taking from the poor and giving to the rich. That's what they do. Oh, sorry, you people who can't start households. We need the rich people to have their houses go up in value. Oh, hey, sorry, all you little small banks. We're going to give preferred capital to in capital interest rates and cost of capital to the big banks and the big institutions. Hey, sorry, little companies. We want the big companies. So that's been the unadulterated sweep of this whole thing. Bernanke did that. Yellen did that. And also Jerome Powell. Always favoring the large over the small. Always favoring the rich over the poor. If you want to know where the wealth gap came from, you're looking at it. This is where it came from. It's an act of policy. Now, it's interesting to me that when I talk about these things, I don't get the usual clicks, the views. It goes a little bit quiet over there on, on YouTube and on Twitter, I mean. And, and I don't know why that is, because it's, if you want to understand something and you want to point your ire in a certain direction, it's not at J.P. Morgan for stepping in and getting the sweetheart deal. It's that they were even in a position to take that sweetheart deal. And for that, you have to go to the actual source of the trouble. It's kind of like all these people you know, getting really wrapped up about masks versus vaccines versus this versus that. And there's almost no outrage, no ire over the fact that this coronavirus, COVID, came out of a lab. That's the headwaters of this particular story. So we're always seeming, for some reason, and I think it's due to a captured media, maybe, um, or a dumbed down, you know, electorate. I don't know what the thing is, but we're not looking at the problem where it actually exists. Why wouldn't we? We should be having huge debates about this right here. A small group of unelected people deciding they know the best price for money and they're just going to, they're just going to, whatever the consequences of that, they're just going to like smash that down our throats. You don't get a vote. I don't get a vote. Nobody gets a vote in this system. But this steals from the poor and gives to the rich. It steals from the young to give to the old. This is a reverse Robin Hood organization. Maybe we should talk about that. All right. Let me get off of that little, <laughs> little soapbox. does annoy me, though, um, that it is this way. So what are we talking about when we say these banks have losses? Well, look, it, it, looks, it works like this. So if a bank takes a loan, it, it takes your money as a deposit, not as all this cash, what's it going to do with it? And so quite often what they're going to do is they're going to put it into other assets, right? So they will say buy a 10-year treasury bond yielding or a five-year bond, say, a year ago or so that would have been yielding 1.5%. So let's calculate this out. Let's say the bank um, took 100% of the money that you'd given them. They bought $10,000 face value of a bond. It's a five-year bond because that's 60 months down here. And they bought it, when they bought it, it had a coupon rate of, it was yielding 1.5%. But now it's yielding 5%, say, just to make the numbers easy. In today's terms, if the rates just stayed at 5%, that bond is actually worth $8,400, not $10,000. So if they held it all the way to maturity, it would they would get their $10,000 back. But if they had to sell it today, they would only get $8,400 for it, right? So this is just showing here um, how much this thing would be worth under different interest rate environments. So in this break green, if the rates dropped to 3%, it would be worth more because in bonds, rates go up. Price goes down. Price goes up. Rates go down. It's a seesaw. That's just how bonds work. So if the rates dropped, well, prices would go up. 
So the, that price would be worth a lot more. But if the rates drop, rose all the way to 7%, it would be worth even less, perhaps, I don't know, whatever, 7,600 bucks there or something. Oh, oh, right here, 76, 78. Anyway, that's just to show, illustrate the example that all of these banks back here during this period of time, when they were busy making loans, mortgage loans, all those things, when they were busy stuffing excess deposits into treasuries, they were doing it under this environment right here. And now we're in this environment up here, and all of this is giant losses that l exist from between this gap right here. And that's the problem. So there's lots of banks out there sitting on lots of losses. How much? Uh, 700 billion or so. Seems like a big number. Um, but yeah, these are unrealized losses because they haven't realized them yet. If they had to sell those assets, those bonds, they would have to realize the loss, right? So that's the problem in this whole story at this point in time. So uh, let's just do a quick summary of this. Uh, first, the stock and bond holders did get wiped out. Kudos. Uh, they got bailed in. So that's how that should work. Second, JPM got 500 million bucks right up front. Hey, they just need a little taste, a little something, a little something to get out of bed in the morning. They need a little motivation. So 500 million seems to be the right number in this story. Uh, as well, um, they had it. That comes with an IRR of over 20%. Now, that's a good investment right there. FDIC is going to be out $13 billion. Uh, that's taxpayer money for sure. Um, FDIC is also providing uh, $50 billion of what they call fixed term financing to JPM. Terms unknown. I don't know like what kind of interest rate or anything like that, but seems like a pretty sweet deal. And then finally, nope, this is not over. We have a lot of things going on up there. Those $700 billion of losses are still sitting there. There are other banks that are in trouble at this particular point in time. No question about it. We're, we haven't seen the last of this yet. Um, and that's just because those losses are already there. That capital has already been hopelessly betrayed. There is nothing you can do about it. If you have a bond that's paying out a percent or a percent and a half that you bought a few years ago, you can't sell it for what you bought it for today. That's a loss. Uh, so now you just have to hold on to that, which is a different kind of a loss too, because now you have an opportunity cost. Wouldn't you rather be getting 5% on your money than 1%? Of course you would. Banks are the same. So at any rate, uh, those losses are all there. There's nothing we can do about them. And they are very much going to be with us for a while longer. We haven't heard the last of this. There's a lot of things you can and should do to be ready for what happens if we get into a bank default, but um, the further bank defaults. But even more urgently than that, I'm going to be talking about this with my subscribers. Next is... Uh, well, there's all this noise. What if the U.S. government defaults on its debt? Unthinkable. Probably won't happen, but you probably ought to think about it. All right. Thanks very much for listening. And by the way, tell me what topics you would like me to cover. Put those down in the comments. I would love to hear. You want to hear COVID? More of the financial stuff? Anything else? Let me know. I would love to hear. Thanks very much. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye.